Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Susan Shapiro Barish, author of A Passion for More, Affairs That Make or Break Us. The fate of literary heroines, Anna Karina, Emma Bovary, and Hester Prynne, is over. While their destiny, well, their destinies actually were grim, real women today are exploring their needs with a striking absence of guilt and as a form of self-exploration with a huge rise in female infidelity, according to best-selling gender expert Susan Shapiro Barish. Today, women have affairs with a sense of entitlement, and 90% of the women have no guilt and actively pursue the affair, according to her research, which also attributes the explosion of female infidelity to social media, making exposure to a lover easier than ever before, and COVID, which has increased the number of cyberspace affairs. Uh, Susan analyzes the four types of affairs and reveals how an affair can improve one's marriage slash monogamous relationship. She's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, New York Post, uh, and has appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, and MSNBC. Welcome to the show, Susan. Nice to have you on. Hi there, Catherine. Thank you for having me on. Are these startling statistics? I was reading all the statistics that uh, you provided me with, and I guess the first one, which I just read, 90% of the women have no guilt and actively pursue affairs today, which I'm assuming is very different than it has been in the past. These are new statistics. Well, I, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, I think the amount of entitlement, the sense of confidence that women are reporting And I want to tell you that these women are from 20 to 80, and they're all across the country from big cities and small towns and rural areas and suburbs and all social strata, level of education, race, ethnicity, religion, a really diverse and disparate group of women, but the emotional longing or the physical longing in enough cases is really there. And a lot of them are really convention-bound women. So I did find, in my, this is an ongoing study, I started it 30 years ago, it was my first research project, and I've kept it going, and I am finding that women are stronger and more sure of themselves in this decision than ever before. So that's a long time, 30 years you've been doing this, and uh, women are are stronger, are more confident, are they becoming more like men in their pursuit of having affairs or wanting affair or seeing themselves able to uh, to have an affair um, and, as you say, not feel guilty about it, but feel empowered sometimes? Um, are we becoming... Well, I, I, yeah. You know, we live in a patriarchal culture, and um, so there's still male supremacy and more male power, even though women have earned a great deal of agency these last 30, 40 years. But I don't think that they're doing it in the same way that men do it. But please remember that all of my studies, for, for each study, I only speak with women. So they're only, the way that I interpret men is the way that these women are reporting their relationships with men. So I can't really speak to if it's similar to men, but it seems to me, and I'm very sure of this, that women do this in a better way. 
and they do it because they really do long for more and they're not satisfied in the primary relationship or marriage and they feel it's a true choice for them. So they're looking at it, you know, in a very careful, thoughtful way. It isn't like the, I guess, really the the sort of picture we all have of men where they just go on a business trip, the wife looks, you know, the other way, and he has a fling. These are, for many of the women, although there is the whole section that I have on sex-driven affairs in my book, but for many of the women, Catherine, they're really looking for a very different experience, and it's very deliberate, and by the way, they're very good at keeping it a secret. I like that. They're very good at keeping it a secret. Better than men, I have to assume. Well, well, that's, I, I, I guess I would say that is positive. That's, I mean, that's good. I mean, women are not, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking women are not willing to lead quiet lives of desperation. They're, they're out there. Um, but like what? That's now, true. Excuse yeah. me. I, I agree with you. They're really not. I think that's a really good point you're making. That's what we're noting, that women are really saying, well, wait a second, this is how I feel, and I deserve to pursue it. Now, in the recent uh, Roe v. Wade um, situation and women losing mm-hmm. yeah, their power, uh, really losing power and uh, losing their ability to make choices about their own body. How does that fit into what you're seeing well, in research? Well, first of all, it's really it's heart, a heartbreaking a heart- decision. As we yeah. you know, a situ- the situation is dire, yeah. and we know that. And really pushing back against female voice, female need, and what women deserve. So it, it's extremely disturbing. Um, the women here are, in my study are so careful. They're so careful about getting pregnant, the young women, about, you know, birth control, still worried about some sexually transmitted diseases. All of this is really taken into account. And not all of the affairs are physical, are really happening in real time. And as you mentioned in the intro, during COVID, there was a real rise in virtual affairs and emotional affairs that were happening in the metaverse. Can we talk about cyber, cyber sex and cyber affairs and uh, what that means and how, you know, is it a lot different or very different than what what happens if you're with somebody in person and having an affair? Well, the, surely it's a different experience, but it's really the same kind of crossing the line. Because if you're having a cyber, I interviewed a lot of women who had email affairs and Zoom affairs. and So you might not be in the same room or you might not have arranged a hotel room, but you're certainly crossing the line. What this wife or monogamous partner is doing is really not what her partner or husband expects of her. He, it's not. It's a form of being unfaithful. So the, but it satisfies a different need, and many of the women expressed how much the lover got them through this. You know, these last terrible, few terrible years. That just are, having that to look forward to. Well, Susan, are women more willing to say share that experience with their partner? 
more so than let's say they were having an actual physical affair in person in the um, in the room. Based on my research, the only time that women convey that there's an affair going on to their husband or partner is if they're either leaving or they want to use it as a negotiating tool to say, you know, to use it as a wake-up call and and to renegotiate the marriage or the relationship. So they say, hi, look, I want you to know I've been seeing someone because you've disappointed me or I'm disillusioned or I don't feel appreciated or we don't have enough sex or you don't hear my emotional needs. You only want, you know, know, like whatever the scenario is with this woman and this man. And she will be bold enough and confident enough to say, here's the story. And then either I'm leaving or I really want you. Could you please hear what I need and why I did this? So that's kind of new, the way that women are doing that. Well, it seemed to me in that context, that's one of the contexts, that really does uh, show or demonstrate, I guess, how a how an affair can approve one's marriage or a like seemingly monogamous relationship. Maybe none of us are really sort of programmed to be in monogamous relationships for 50 years. <laughs> right. Longevity <laughs> feeds into the longing yeah. for something else. Yeah. But, you, but also, Catherine, just against that is the constant social, you know, societal, cultural messaging that love ever lasts. You know, love ever after, love lasting forever is the key to happiness. The wedding industry is busy as ever, and, you know, women can't wait to be the bride. And so the, the myth or the prescription really, really prevails. And I doubt there's a woman who walks down the aisle saying, gee, I wonder when I'll have my first affair. It's that it's progressive, and as you said, you know, 50 years or 30 years or for some women, you know, much less time. Well, she may not be saying it, but I think now people in the audience are saying it. I I have to say, maybe I'm, yeah, it is tricky, and and I have a certain cynicism, I guess. I see these, uh, I could... 35-year-old women getting married in uh, white wedding dresses who have had relationships with their partners for many years and sort of putting on this fairy tale kind of show, I guess, it always appears to me. But anyway. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah. And I think, then again, it, it's that the myth dies hard. And, that the, and that's the like dichotomy. That's the irony that everyone wants to buy into love ever after, that everyone wants to have a soulmate. And women expect, in all fairness to the men, so much from the men. They're looking for um, one man to be the, the provider, in many cases, despite, you know, what earning power one has, is, you know, it's getting better. The lover, the confidant, the, the best friend, all rolled up in one. And, and that's kind of hard for men especially because of their societal conditioning, which is a whole other story. You know, women are so much more multifaceted and, you know, just by nature and the, and nurture, by, by what culture expects of us. That is true. And also, 
here's a statistic I want to discuss with you because I have a whole bunch of them in front of me, obviously, but 78%, this is in your research, you found 78% of women say that their lover is the opposite of their husband or partner. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Does that mean physically, in bed, emotionally, intellectually, or all of those things? Any of it, possibly all of it. I don't often come across an interviewee who says, gee, my husband and my lover are so similar, because the whole point is that these women don't want more of what they have. They want another experience. So what about when they talk, well, this is a little bit different. It's not taking on a new lover, but you know, women will say that uh, if they're unhappy with their husbands, they get divorced, they find another, they get married again, that they go to the same kind of a person and then that they, unless they've really worked on their issues and uh, what drives them to have a relationship. And so they end up with the same husband the second time around, but this is not true with your lover. (laughs) Right. Well, I, (laughs) so really only 35% of the women in my study end up with their lover although about half stay in their marriages after the affair and about half, you know, close to half, um, are, are, willing, are leaving, you know, have decided to leave. But that, that really is um, in step with the divorce statistics in America anyway. But, but, yeah, I mean, the idea that a lover becomes a husband certainly changes his role. And there are a lot of mundane aspects, we all know this, uh, of life that occur with a long-standing partner or husband. And with a lover, you're not talking about the mortgage payment or your wayward daughter at this moment. You know, maybe you're troubled with a teenage daughter or your son's soccer game or your daughter's field hockey. You're not talking about it. You have this world that's very magical and very romantic. And then, you know, if you do marry your lover, well, now he's a husband and everyday life we all know, really does take over. So that's the 65% of the your interviewees uh, report that sex is better with the lover, better with the lover than the husband, for all those reasons you mentioned, because you're not thinking about mm-hmm. the soccer game and the insurance bills you have to pay and all that other stuff doesn't get in the way. So that makes sense. Um, I think we as a at least Americans, our history is this kind of puritanical culture. I think, uh, and I don't know, I mean, you're studying women here, I'm assuming, here in the, where are... I I interview women in America. Yeah. So uh, I think Europeans have had a different, maybe, view on lovers and affairs than we have. Um, Absolutely. Particularly in France. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, that's a good example. So what about the, you said the 35% of, only 35% of the women end up with their lovers. Most women end up staying with their partners. What is it that, in your research, that you, have, that you found that, you know, propels them to, to the, the 35% who do end up with their lovers? Why? I mean, is it because the marriage is so terrible? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what, you know, what are some of the reasons? Well, remember that I found there are four categories of affairs based on my research. So there are empowering affairs where, you know, the affair is just a choice or an option. And then there's the sex-driven affairs where, and possibly since you mentioned men and how they conduct their affairs earlier today, possibly, 
you know, we could compare it to a male attitude, but women just want sex. They want more sex and they don't want to get emotionally hooked. The self-esteem affairs are interesting because the woman is saying, I felt kind of ignored or neglected or not noticed or not heard with my husband, and this lover makes me feel really special, and I've missed that. But what's poignant in my study is the fourth category, and that's the love affair, because there is nothing really about a free society that keeps us from just walking across a room at a party and something happens that's unprecedented, unpredicted, and can just turn your life around, turn your world around. And also, the love affairs happen not just by a chance meeting, but also because of reunions, a high school reunion, college reunion, old boyfriend finds you on LinkedIn, you, you know, you somehow run into the one where the feelings were there, but the experience was never played out. So those are a kind of, you know, the long lost love. So these are really different and they really more often end up in either heartbreak or getting together and the lover turns into the husband. How do the women incorporate these affairs into their busy life, for instance? Because women do a lot. Yeah, They're we out all there. Know yeah. how, <laughs> we know how busy our lives are. Let's get some but tips. However, how do they? <laughs> right, do I agree with you. Women are really good at it. They're really <laughs> facile at balancing it, at being still the good wife, maybe the good mother too, you know, if they have kids, and also being a good lover and carving out time for the lover in real time, texting, emails, phones are private now because we all have a cell, you know, a smartphone. So many ways to access and to keep it going. And women are very, very good at it. Now, what about the children? How do they, you know, how are they able to, I, I'm assuming they don't share their affairs with their children. Um, no. And, you know, or am, am I making the right assumption. Um, so yes. yeah, <laughs> you're right. Okay. They don't. Yeah. And how does that fit in with the kids? What I found is that women use almost a splitting mechanism so that this, in the, I'll reference my own title, this passion for more really has its own like orbit. And the women are able to sustain their, their mothering their work lives, so many women in the workforce of all ages, their, even their marriages if they so choose, and yet they just have this separate world with the lover. So they're it, able it to compartmentalize, I hear. Is that yeah, what you're saying? It's really yeah. Like, yeah, it's like the splitting mechanism can also be, yeah. It's, it's just like here I am as wife, here I am as mother, here I am as, I don't know, you know, an accountant, a doctor, a gym, you know, a gym and yoga instructor, whatever I am, these women are saying, and I am good at all of that, and now I am good at managing this part of my life as well. They're very compelled, you know, the risk for the reward is really there. I saw it a lot in my study. How often do the husbands or partners find out about the affairs? I mean, are there statistics on that? Or do you have statistics? Yeah, I looked at that. So not so often, unless the husband is particularly suspicious or tipped off, 
or the wife is sloppy. You know, there's sometimes like, oh, the cell phone, I saw the text. Oh, her email was up, I read it. But if, but for most of the women in my study, and we're talking affairs that last eight years, five years, while the woman is, you know, in the marriage. And so it's a triangle, you know, husband or partner, woman, lover. They are very accomplished and almost polished at, at really keeping it a secret. You mentioned the age group. I mean, it really covers the gamut of, of adult women up to 80 years old, you're saying your research does. <laughs> it was the most shocking part of, the, of my latest research. My goodness, my what grandmother, was so I'm thinking about... Was how, well, how many women who were in their 20s, early 20s, were talking to me and seemed really, you know, almost relieved and happy to have a way, you know, of course, we should say that anonymity is guaranteed. So if someone is named Nicole in my book, she's not really named Nicole. So women change the identifying characteristics, but their story is, you know, all the details. And so, you know, young women, women getting engaged, women who just got married, women who have just moved in with their partner and are hoping to get engaged and yet having an affair, to women in a retirement community or two where they have a boyfriend and then a new guy comes into the community. So I really was fascinated by how we, you know, I went through decade by decade and the longing and yearning and hoping is really very similar. Wanting and, as you say, and hoping uh, for something new, I guess, uh, I mean, we started talking about that in the beginning of the interview, but kind of this kind of the wanting new and exciting, a new and exciting relationship, no matter what age you are, I guess, all, you know, 20 or, exactly. or 80. Yeah. Yeah. And also ageism is so harsh toward women. And this is really a form of combating it, saying, look, I'm still sexy or I'm still considered really smart and I, I'm still considered attractive and and this man sees it, and I'll go for that. He interests me too, you know? That's what these women are saying. I have one last question. I probably shouldn't ask it because I only have a couple minutes left. But what about women? Like, are they having affairs with men their own age, younger men, much older men, or is it just it's the whole gamut? I'm really glad you asked that. It, it really it is, you know, all different categories that you described. I've interviewed women who have a husband their age, the lover's older. I've interviewed women with an older husband, the lover's younger. I've interviewed women 75, the lover's 58. It's <laughs> Sometimes the lover is much older. Sometimes he's a lot younger. Sometimes they're the same age, especially if, you know, it's a long-lost love that you're now reunited with. So it really is, you know, all across the board. Fascinating study. I love the research. And uh, the book is A Passion for More, Affairs That Make or Break Us. Uh, Susan Shapiro Barish. Great book. Where can we get the book? Uh, where can we listen to the book? Can we listen on Audible? It's as of now, it is on Amazon and there is a special Kindle. So it's 99 cents for the Kindle and, you know, e-reader. And um, it comes in, you know, book form too. And you can ask your indie bookstore and they'll get it for you or they'll have it. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Susan. Um, Thank you so much, Catherine. 
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm.